0: My name is Jason, I'm the pastor here at the church and it's just a big deal that you're here today. I hope you're ready to eat a little bit and have a party afterwards because it's Sunday fun day so it's gonna be a good time, a good time out there. About seven or eight years ago, Andrea and I decided that it was time to be adults and so we purchased life insurance, you know? Because you know you're becoming an adult when you start planning your death and so that was what we were going to do. And uh, so we filled out the application and uh, started having all these, you know, romantic, philosophical conversations about how much you're worth dead and all those good things. And so they, uh, they, they told us we had to take this medical test, physical, to, you know, see if we qualified. And this lady, this nice lady showed up at my house at 8 a.m. and sat at my kitchen table and took our blood and had us use the bathroom in cups. It was awesome. And she told us, she said, they'll send you a letter in seven to ten days, so, sure enough, we get the letter, and the good news is we passed, which is, that's a big deal for me, because I didn't pass a lot of tests as a kid, and so I have some scar tissue, but I passed the test. The, the, the bad news is that I was considered high risk. Andrea, of course not, story of our life, she's great, I'm high risk, and so the, the, they give us this letter, and there are three reasons on the letter why I'm considered to be high risk. Number one was my weight. That was just overweight based on my height. That was about thirty-five or forty pounds ago, so that's good. And and then number two was um, my cholesterol. And then number three uh, was family history. That because my mom had passed away at an early age from cancer, which is actually kind of what started this conversation for us. That because she had passed away early from cancer that now there was a chance that that was in me, that the, in the DNA of, of me, in the, in the blood of me, that, that there would be maybe some history that according to their research and their numbers and all the things that they run, puts me at a higher risk of death than, than other people or, uh, or Andrea. And so if I, could, if I could put it another way, I would say that after they ran all the scenarios, that, that I was higher risk because of what I was feeding myself and what was in my DNA. Because of what I was feeding myself and because of what was in my DNA, I was at a, a higher risk. And today, we're in the third part of this series called Long Hair Don't Care about the life of Samson. And you're probably familiar with the story of Samson, regardless of how much church you have or Bible knowledge you have, you're probably familiar with the highlights Of his story, that you know, he had long hair and he he slept with Delilah, and Delilah cut his hair and he lost his strength. But the reason that we're taking five weeks to tell this story is because there are so many other nuggets of truth, application truths in this story uh, for our lives. Now, the first week, we looked at the miraculous birth of Samson, that his parents were not able to have children, and so an angel shows up and Uh, tells them that they're going to have a child, and not only are they going to have a child, but he's going to make an incredible difference in the world. But there was a vow, it's called the Nazarite vow, that he was supposed to take and supposed to live by, and it sounds really strange to us, but the vow was that you can never drink wine, you can never touch dead animals, and you cannot cut your hair. It was a Nazarite vow. And so this angel said that Samson was to live his life according to that vow, and his mom his mom agreed to that, and what we said that first week is that, that, that people who want to make a difference have to be different, that Samson was being raised and brought up in a world and a culture where everyone had sold out and compromised, and so God said, if he's going to be my judge, my deliverer, then I want him to be different, because you can't lead from the middle of the pack. You can't make a difference and be like everybody else, and so Samson was to be different, And then the next week in part two, we talked about how that Samson's parents failed to uh, explain to Samson why he was to be different, that Samson knew what he was supposed to do and not do, but he didn't really understand why he wasn't supposed to do it. And for those of us who are parents, but even really for those of us who are Christians, we said last week that why power will always be stronger than willpower that why power will always be stronger than willpower, that yes, it's important to know what to do and what not to do, but what's more important is to know why you do what you do and why you don't do what you do. So what would it look like if our families and our lives, we lived based on conviction and not just consequences? And so this week, we're picking up in part three of the story and And we are going to be in Judges chapter 14. We're gonna start with verse five. And we're starting to get to some of the more popular stories of Samson. That now that we've got past his birth and maybe the beginning of of his story, that some of these stories now are gonna be a little more of the stories that maybe you learned in Sunday school or, or church camp or maybe have heard before. And the question that we've been asking each week and that we're continuing to ask today is, is there any Samson in me? Is there any Samson in me? And the answer to that question, just so you know, is yes. That inside of all of us is this unlimited potential, but also this unlimited potential to fail, to fall, and to compromise. And so if the answer is yes, there is Samson in me, and there is Samson in you, then the next question is, what do we do in order to avoid ending up like Samson ended up? What do we need to do in order to, to, to avoid this scandalous crash and, and burn fall in our lives like, like Samson did? And so today, we're going to begin to see the beginning stages of Samson's fall. He's not going to fall today, but we're going to begin to see the beginning stages of it. And what we're going to find is that Samson had in him the same thing we have in us, and that is a family history that in the same way that I took my medical test for my life insurance, the same was true for Samson and the same is true for you, that what we feed ourselves and our family history puts us at a higher risk of death. And everyone in this room, whether you know it or not, everyone in this room has a family history that puts you at a higher risk. I'm talking spiritually now. Because Adam and Eve in Genesis, when they sinned, they put into every person that was born after them a history, a family history of sin. It's in your DNA. It's in your blood, you can't help it. When you are born, you are born with and in sin and a propensity to sin. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, it is what it is. And we can't argue with it because you've seen a child, you know your story. We don't have to teach ourselves or teach other people how to do wrong things, it is in us. And it was in Samson. And so all of us have this family history, this thing in our DNA that puts us at a higher risk. And in the book of James, in chapter 1, it d- talks a little bit about that risk and what actually leads us to death. So we're going to pick up in Judges 14, but before we do that, you don't have to find this. I just want to read you a verse, two verses from the book of James. It's going to talk a little bit about that family history. It's in James chapter 1, James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, this is what it says. It says, temptation comes from our own desires. That's a great place to start. James is saying, you're not tempted because of your workplace. You're not tempted because of your neighbor. You're not tempted because of the internet. You're tempted because you have in you desires that were there the day that you were born. You have a family history, It's in there. Adam and Eve sinned and it put desires in you. And the reason that you're tempted to do things you shouldn't do, this is deep, is because you wanna do them. If you did not wanna do them, you wouldn't be tempted, okay? But they're in there. And so like a magnet inside of your soul and in your heart, you are drawn and tempted to things that you should not want, but guess what? You do, why? Because you have a family history. All right, it says temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. That's that magnet, that constant tension and that constant pull that you feel in your life. And you're saying, I don't know why I can't always end up where I wanna end up or do what I wanna do, because there is something pulling you away and dragging you and enticing you. And up to this point, nothing I have read is wrong. You will be tempted. It is inside of you. You will be enticed. You will be dragged away, but you haven't done anything wrong. All of us deal with that. But the next verse says that these desires, what desires? Those desires that are in us because of family history, that are magnets trying to pull us away. Those desires give birth to sin. Eh, We're there. Bad mistake, fault, right there that the reason we sin is because we get dragged away and enticed by our desires, and we sin, and we shouldn't do that, but we do. We're all sinners in the room. The next time somebody self-righteous says, you know, love the sinner, hate the sin, they're talking about themselves, they're talking about you, they're talking about all of us, because we're all sinners, you need to get that. And then the last part says, and when sin is allowed to grow, Everybody say, allowed to grow. When it's allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. It gives birth to death. All of us in the room have a family history, a desire, a, a something in our DNA that is not convinced that Jesus is better than anything else that's out there. Because the snake showed up in the garden of Adam and Eve, and he said, God's holding out on you. He really doesn't want you to have that apple because it's awesome. And Eve and Adam believed him and they ate it. And ever since that day, there's something inside of all of us that thinks maybe God's holding out on us. That maybe there's something out there that's better than Jesus. Maybe there's something out there that's better than having a relationship with Jesus. And Samson thought the same thing and battled the same thing because he had family history too, all right? So we're gonna read. We're gonna read Judges chapter 14 and it's those three words in James that really take us where we need to go today. Allowed to grow. And when sin is allowed to grow, it puts us at a high risk of death and we're gonna read about that in James 14. So here we go, James chapter 14. Gonna start with verse five and six. Just so you know, Samson and his mom and dad are headed down to his rehearsal dinner. They're going to a town called Timnah because there's a rehearsal dinner, because Samson's gonna get married to a Philistine woman. That's bad news, because he's supposed to destroy the Philistines, but instead he decided to marry the Philistines, and so here we go. That's not good. But we're heading to the rehearsal dinner, and it says, as Samson and his parents were going down to Timnah, a young lion suddenly attacked Samson near the vineyards of Timnah. And at that moment, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he ripped the lion's jaws apart with his bare Hands. And he did it as easily as if it were a young goat. But he didn't tell his father or mother about it. Three quick takeaways from what we just read. Three things we learned right off the bat. Number one, Samson's walking near a vineyard. No big deal, right? Why would that be a big deal? What, do you remember the vow that we talked about the first week, second week, and I just recap for you? Three things Samson's not allowed to do. Number one, drink wine. What are they making vineyards? Grapes, they make wine, and prunes, but nobody cares about prunes, they make wine, okay? So, here he is walking near a vineyard. Now here's what happens at every point that I ever teach this idea in the Bible. The same thing happens every time, at the same point in the story every time, this point. We wanna push back and say, oh boy, here we go. Here's the religious list of rules. Here's where the preacher tells me all the things I can't do. Now I'm not even allowed to be near vineyards. Jason, you're making a really big deal out of nothing. This is not that big a deal. And you're right in the sense that technically throughout the whole story of Samson, we never find any information that lets us know that he broke his vow and he drank wine. That nowhere in the story did he ever technically break the rule. But you cannot do the wrong things, and that doesn't mean you're doing the right things. You can follow the letter of the law and not understand the heart of the rule and the law. And so here is Samson technically not breaking the rule, but he's walking near a vineyard, which is a place that technically I guess he could hang out, but there's nothing there for him other than things that he's not supposed to have. And so there's a lesson here maybe for us that we should not hang out near places where there's nothing to offer but things we shouldn't have. And you say, that's ridiculous, that's no big deal, That's not, you know, he didn't do anything wrong. But what's interesting is at the end of the verse, it said, but, everybody say but. He didn't tell his parents where he had been. Now, I have four children, and I've been a child myself, and there are just some things you don't tell mom and dad. You know what I mean? There are things you don't tell mom and dad, the things that are gonna get you in trouble. How many parents know when it's really quiet in the house, something awful is happening at that moment upstairs? You just don't know about it yet, but you will right? Sharpie markers are on the wall. Just wait. It'll be there. And so we see here that Samson obviously knows that, he, that his parents would be upset or he was doing something or he'd be in trouble because he was doing something that maybe he shouldn't have been doing or at a place he shouldn't have been doing. He was with his parents. Next thing we know in the story, he's not with his parents and he is walking near a vineyard. When it comes to avoiding temptation, you gotta talk about where you are because it's really hard to do the right things in the wrong places. That when you're in the wrong place at the wrong time, it's almost impossible to do the right thing. And where you are says a lot about who you wanna be and the dreams that are in your life and the destination that you want to to get to. And so if you find yourself near, the proximity of places that have nothing to offer you but things that you should not have are things that you should not do. Eventually, that magnet inside of your soul is going to pull you into a place that you don't need to be. So number one takeaway we see here is Samson's walking near a vineyard. Number two, Samson killed a lion. And this is a big deal because this is the first time in his story where we get to see his strength. We get to see his muscles. This is what he's known for, and this is the first place where we get to see that and experience that. And it's a big deal because sometimes it's easy to think that, that, that God doing something awesome is a stamp of approval on wherever we are or whatever we're doing. So here's Samson walking near a vineyard, a place he shouldn't be, but God still did something incredible. And so sometimes we can be doing the wrong things in the wrong places and something good happened in life and we'll go, well, God must think it's all right, but that's not how it works that God will still use us and do incredible things through our lives when we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing for a season, giving us every opportunity to turn from what we're doing. But a double life always has a shelf life and it won't work eventually. I also don't think it's a coincidence that a lion shows up at this point in the story. The Bible says that the devil, our enemy is a roaring lion who wants to steal, kill, and destroy us. So here's Samson off the path, walking near a vineyard when a a lion shows up. A lion shows up. A lion. I've found in my life that the devil usually shows up in the places that I sneak off to. That temptation usually finds me when no one else can. And so here he is, and he rips this lion apart. But the third thing we see is that he wouldn't tell his parents what he had done. Number one, he's walking near a vineyard. Number two, he kills a lion. And number three, he won't tell his parents. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know how you're wired. Here's what I know about me. If I ever killed a lion by ripping it apart with my bare hands, I'd tell everybody. I mean, it would be the bio on everything I ever did. I would just introduce myself, like, hey, I'm Jason, I ripped a lion apart with my bare hands. Like, I would, I, and if I had ever killed a young goat, and that was the comparison for how easy killing a lion was, I'd say that too. Like, hi, my name's Jason. I killed a lion with my bare hands. It was as easy as a young goat. Like, that's how I would introduce myself. I put it on Instagram, like, every day. Like, I killed a lion with my bare hands. I would tell everybody. It would be the illustration of my sermon every week. My name's Jason. I'm the pastor here. I killed a lion with my bare hands. Like, I would lead with it. <laughs> Samson can't talk about it. He just killed a lion with his bare hands, but but he did not tell his parents what have you done? Rule number one of temptation and sin that is allowed to grow is anytime you hear this voice in your head that says you can't talk about it, you have to talk about it. Anytime you hear this thought in your heart or in your head that says whatever you do, don't let anybody know, you have to let somebody know. So here's Samson keeping secrets he, he, he's, he's not talking about where he's been, he's not talking about what he's been doing, and even though technically he hasn't done anything wrong yet, can you feel the current pulling him in? Can you hear the sirens? If the soundtrack up to this point was like really pleasant and happy, it just changed to something very dramatic and scary. Dun, 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 like something's coming here. And again, we're gonna read in just a second, but again this is the part in the story where we're tempted to think that stinks for Samson, but I would never do that. I mean, yeah, Jason, I'm hanging out near some vineyards, but like, I'm fine. And I mean, yeah, I'm following Jesus now, but all my friends hang out down there, and so I, I, I you know, I don't wanna be like holier than now, and them thinking like, oh, I, I can't, I'm a Christian now, I can't hang out, so I'm just gonna be with them. Yeah, I probably shouldn't be working at that place. Yeah, I probably shouldn't be in that relationship, but I'm fine, I'm good. Are you doing all right? No, I'm good. I'm fine, really, I'm good, I'm good, I'm fine, that's where Samson's at, verse 7, when Samson arrived in Timnah, he talked with the woman and was very pleased with her, later when he returned to Timnah for the wedding, he turned off the path, everybody say off the path, he turned off the path to look at the carcass of the lion. And he found that a swarm of bees had made some honey in the carcass. He scooped some of the honey into his hands and he ate it along the way. And he also gave some to his father and mother and they ate it. But, everybody say but. (sighs) He didn't tell them he had taken the honey from the carcass of the lion. Samson has now gone home and he's on his way back and the Bible says he gets off the path And the lion that he killed is is right there. It's laying there. And there's honey in there. And the first two verses we read, technically Samson hadn't done anything wrong. He was just near it. Now, we're straight up breaking the rules. Because do you remember vow number two? Don't touch dead animals. The Bible says it as don't eat unclean food. But really what that means is dead animals. And so now we've gone from being near it he wasn't in it, he was just near it. So now we're, we're breaking the rules. And he scoops the honey up and he eats it and he gives it to his parents. And I can't think of a better image, a better description of what sin is than sweet honey inside the carcass of a dead lion. It tastes good, it's pleasurable, it's, 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 it's fine, it's good, it's great, it's better than that, it's amazing but it's sitting inside a dead lion. And the way sin works in our lives, it is sweet and it's pleasurable and it's enjoyable and it's fun, but it's always at a place that in order to get there, we have to cross a line and break a boundary or break a vow or break a rule. And we know, we know This is not me being over the top. We know that Samson knew it was wrong because he didn't tell his parents. He would not talk to his parents about it. And see, the devil is smart. The devil is smart. He does not invite us into the bed with Delilah on day one. Because if I was able to take you into the future and I was to take you like 20 years ahead, to the worst case scenario of what your life could look like if you continued at the trajectory and the pace and the speed and the direction that your life is going. And I showed you how bad it could end up. It would scare you to death and it would scare you so bad that it would cause you to stop what you're doing and change the direction of your life. So the devil's not gonna show you that. It's step one, no big deal. Step two, no big deal. Step three, not really a big deal. I'll stop at step five. Step six, I was gonna stop at five, but I'll stop at eight. Step nine, I was gonna stop at eight, but I'll stop at 12. Step 13, do you see where we're going? And we eventually end up at a place we swore we would never end up at 30 steps ago because there's a magnet inside of our hearts and a family history that isn't convinced that what we get at 31 is not better than Jesus. Jesus. And one through 30 has let us down, but 31 will be the real deal And 35 and 57 and step, 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 step. Compromise happens a step at a time. A step at a time, a step at a time, a step at a time. Samson, if you're talking to him before he ever gets near the vineyard in Timna and, he, and you say to Samson, Samson, you're gonna end up cutting all your hair off, getting your eyebrows plucked out and dying because you sleep with a woman named Delilah, he would say the same thing we would say. I would never, never, I wouldn't do that. Of course not, none of us would. Today, but that's not the way compromise works. A step at a time. It's a step at a time, a little honey, a little vineyard, and we continue to compromise. I think it's interesting that when we're, um, when we're kids, we can't keep secrets. We can't, I have four kids, I told you that, and they just can't keep secrets. Like, they're just terrible at it. Like, they'll come up to me and be like, Dad, Mommy told me something I can't tell you. Like, that's how they lead, you know? I'm like, tell me. They're like, okay, and they tell me, Right? It's amazing that as kids, we can't keep secrets, but as adults, we live with them. That there's so many things happening in our mind and in our heart and in our life that no one knows about. No one. And and what happens in moments like this, as we hear messages like this about compromise and confession and secrets and all that stuff, what happens is we get scared about what would happen if we ever... Became honest about what we were doing, where we were, what we were thinking, the things that were happening in our life. And what happens is the devil convinces us that the consequences and the fallout from our confession are worse than our secrets and worse than anything that we're doing. But we shouldn't be afraid of the consequences of confession. We should be afraid of figuring out how to successfully live a double life, because the question is not, will my secret get out, it always does. The question is, do I wanna tell the right people right now? It's not, will my secret get out? It's, do I wanna tell the right people right now? When it comes to secrets, getting caught is the best thing that could ever happen to you. And, and it's, it, it's, it's, it's way better than getting, than getting away with it. So here's Samson, and, and, and he's using his strength, yes, but he's flirting with danger, then he's, then, he's, then he's breaking the rules, and we can just see where it's going, can't we? The Bible says that he gets off the path. Off the path. It's not the only place the Bible talks about the path. There's actually this other, uh, this other part in the Bible. It's in Proverbs. You don't have to find it. Well, take that back. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to read along with me. But um, it's in Proverbs chapter 4. And, and the reason I want you to maybe find it, if you can, or if you have a phone that can make a mark or something, is because I'd love for you to, to, to make a mark on a, on a certain, certain couple of words here. Because Proverbs was written by the wisest man to ever live, and I'm stalling because I can't find it here. I should know where my Bible is. All right, got it. All right. So the Bible, the Bible, Proverbs is written by the wisest man to ever live. He didn't take his own advice. advice. He ended up getting off the path. But he's about to tell us how we can live the life that we all want to live, that God wants us to live. And it's in Proverbs chapter four, starting with verse 23. Here's what it says. I'm going to read it to you. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Avoid all perverse talk. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark out a straight path for your feet and stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. I've probably read this verse a hundred times, a hundred plus times in my life. My mom probably had it on some pictures in our house. Proverbs 4.23 is a famous, famous Bible verse. Guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. I have read it over and over and over again, but it wasn't until about two weeks ago that I was studying for this message that I noticed something I'd never noticed before in this verse, and I wanna show it to you. And if you have a pen, I want you to mark it. If you got a phone that you can make a mark, I want you to make a mark. But I I wanna just point out to you the very first word of each verse. Never noticed this, all right? Guard. Avoid, stay away, look, mark out, stay on, don't keep. One more time. Guard, avoid, stay away, look, mark out, stay on, don't keep. Every single verse written by the man with the most wisdom who ever lived, who's telling us how to live the life we all want to live, every single one of these verse, verses is extreme and defensive on purpose. Let me paraphrase. He's saying you cannot be near it and not fall into it. At some point, if you're near it, you're gonna give into it. So what I want you to do is guard it, avoid it, stay away from it, look straight ahead, fix your eyes on what lies before you, mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the, the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet. keep your feet from following evil. I love what Kylie said in, in her story. She said, "You know, I gave my life to Jesus, and I had hard decisions to make, because I didn't think it would be fun to go to bed early on Saturday night so I wouldn't be hung over going to church. And we all kind of laughed, and it was funny, but it's real. When you give your life to Jesus, you have to start really deciding like, is the safe path better than anything I can do off the path? Is it really better? Is it really better? Is Jesus really better? Is a life with Jesus really better than what else, whatever else I could find out there? And see the mistake that we make is, we only compare what we don't get to do to what people get to do who are on like step one, two, or three. So they're doing awesome. It's fantastic. They just tasted the honey, and it is sweet. But we never go talk to, like, dude on step 60, right? We never go find the guy who's been married three times and who has filed, like, bankruptcy and no one trusts him because his gambling addiction causes them to lose everything he has. We never talk to the guy who can't drive himself anywhere because he had so many DUIs, he's not allowed to have a license anymore. We never talk to the guy whose kids won't talk to him because of the way that, that he uh, treated his wife. That we never talk to those people and say, was it worth it? Because we know. We only ever look at the people who seem to be having a blast, but they're not far enough into it yet to realize that sin always over promises and under delivers. And so Solomon says, guard your heart, guard your heart. Avoid stuff. Stay away from it. Look straight ahead. Put them blinders on. Look straight ahead. Don't let that magnet start getting you to look over here and look over there. Look, look straight ahead. Stay away. Mark out a straight path. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. I'm staying away from that. That's where I want to end up. Step one, two, three, four, five. I'm going there. That's what I'm doing. I'm not getting off of that. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from drifting over here. Nope, nope, we're going here. Oh, we're going back. Oh, nope, we're coming over here. I'm not getting sidetracked, and I'm keeping my feet pointed in the direction that I want to go. am I willing to do whatever it takes to avoid sin? Am I willing to do whatever it takes to avoid sin? If you believe that nothing is better than Jesus, you will never end up in Delilah's bed, never. You never will. But if you're not convinced and you continue to search for something that's better, you will eventually, I'm not saying next week, it may be when you're 70 years old, Eventually, you will find yourself in a place you swore you would never be, making decisions and compromises you swore you would never make. Because when sin is allowed to grow, not just sin, we're tempted, we're drug away, it gives birth to sin. Okay, we know what that's like, we've been there, we've done that, we keep doing that, got it. But when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth. It gives birth to death. So, so here's, here's the question. I wanna end today by asking you, by asking you one question. And this is not hype. This is not pastor hyperbole. This question literally, legitimately has the power to change your life forever. It has the ability to, for you to live in freedom for the rest of your life. Here's the question, you ready? Simple question. What are you currently doing that you hope no one finds out about? What are you currently doing that you hope no one finds out about? I'm not even talking about sin. It may not even be sinful. It may not be illegal, technically. It may not be wrong. But if somebody found out, you'd be embarrassed. You'd be ashamed. You don't want anybody to know. What are you currently doing that you hope no one finds out about? Because you know. You know. And we've always said around Hope City Church, it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to lie about it. It's okay to be addicted, it's just not okay to lie about it. It's okay to be lost, it's just not okay to lie about it. It's okay to be broken, it's just not okay to lie about it. Why do we say that? Because once you talk about it, it loses its power. But as long as it's a secret, it strangles you. strangles you. So what are you doing that you hope no one finds out about? Maybe you're in some deep stuff. Like maybe you're thinking like, man, I hope nobody finds that body. Like, okay, wow. All right, we can talk later, but like, let's just anywhere from there all the way back to whatever it is, like, hope nobody ever finds out about that. You're allowing it to grow. You're allowing it to grow. And here's what's nuts and sick about everybody in here, including myself that if I was again able to take you into the future and I was to take you to the day when it all came out and everybody knew and the scandal was big and the spouse found out or the boss found the money missing or the cops showed up or whatever, I took you to that day. And the news reporters are knocking on your front door and they're about to write a front page story about your life and the scandalous crash and fall of your life. And at the top is gonna be this big, bold headline about what happened. You know what's crazy? you already know what the headline would say. I already know what my headline would be. And all I gotta do is keep doing what I'm doing and I'll end up being that headline. What's gonna take me down is not gonna surprise me. It's already there, it's already in my life. The question is, am I gonna bring it out into the light and kill it? Or am I gonna allow it to grow? Because if I let it grow, it's gonna kill me. Let's pray.